1: Welcome everybody, my name is Kevin, I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex, and it's so good to have you with us this morning. We are in the middle of a series on miracles, and if you've ever uh, it kind of journeyed into this vast space of wonder that we call uh, Jesus, this never-ending, life-changing journey of following Him, you've experienced a moment. Where you've come up against something that was much bigger than you, much stronger than you, that you alone could never conquer or contain. It's the need for God's power. The need for God to show up and to deliver us. Some of us today need miracles in our lives. And today specifically, we're going to look at the the miracle of healing. God purchased on the cross. The Bible says in Isaiah that it is by his stripes we were healed. And and the truth of of the, the message of Jesus is that Jesus on the cross purchased for us a life that we get to embrace today. But kind of hidden within that embrace is this question of what do I deserve, what do I deserve? Because a lot of times, culturally, especially in the context of the miracle working power of God, the, the question of what we deserve comes up. You've said it and I've said it. They don't deserve that. I have no idea this is so terrible. I can't believe that they received that diagnosis or that they're going through that with their spouse, that they don't deserve that. And we've even, many of us at times, shaking our fists at other people and even at God and said, "We, I don't deserve what I'm going through. I don't deserve this. And so I want to begin by dealing with the question of what do we deserve? What do we, who are we really? In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul uh, is writing this small little church that's going to later become one of the most significant churches in the world in Rome. He, he addresses the issues of who we are and what we deserve. And a lot of times we have to recognize that who we are connects to what we deserve. And so for the first part of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul builds this case. It's as if we're all standing in a courtroom and he's building a case against us. Kind of to his precipice argument in Romans three, where he says, no one is righteous just want you to understand that if the Bible is true, that means every one of us in this room is included in that statement. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All, all, everyone, every person throughout time, throughout history, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one, which, to be honest, is a very strong case against humanity. The problem is, is that a lot of times we give ourselves credit for what God's done in our lives. It's not that we found Jesus, it's more like he found us. And as he continues, he comes to this very important, and I quote it a lot because it is so very important for us to live with the understanding that's in this verse in Romans 6. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He begins to switch gears to talk about Jesus and what we gained through Jesus. But he drops that phrase, The wages of sin is death. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm keenly aware of the fact that I'm a sinner. That God has a standard to which I cannot attain it. I have tried, I've done my best, and there are moments when I just simply fail. And as someone who has failed, who even in my best efforts has continued to fail, The Bible says what we deserve is death. So if we were going to answer the question, what do we deserve? The correct answer would be a lot less than what we have. A lot less than what we have. I mean, the truth is, is that if you drove in a working automobile to church this morning, you exist in the top 1% of wealth in the world. That if you can turn on your tap and the faucet pours clean drinking water, you are in the 80% of the world that has access to clean drinking water, 20% of the world not having access to that having to walk miles and miles just to procure enough water to walk and make it through a day. And why do we get to this point where we feel like we deserve so much? Because the truth is, what do we deserve a lot less than what we have? That's what we deserve. But I want you to look at that verse again. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So a better question to ask sometimes is not what do we deserve, but what have we been given? What have we been given? Because there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we can associate to things that are not accurate. And the truth is, is that the blessings of God, the power of God is a gift to us that was made available through Jesus Christ. So to answer that question, what have we been given? More than we could ever realize. More than we could ever realize. One of my favorite passages of scripture comes out of Ephesians chapter three, It's, it's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays over the church in Ephesus as he's writing them this letter from a great distance. And in the early days of our church, we literally would stand up at the end of each service and we would read a portion of this out loud as a confession because we believe that this is what God wants for us. But I just felt like it would be really appropriate to take a moment and read through this again. This is Paul praying in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 16. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Notice what the prayer is. God has unlimited resources, and so what is he going to give you? Not unlimited money. Not unlimited friends. But unlimited access to his power and strength. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. And look at this. May you, experience the love of Christ. No, no, just stop right there. Notice it doesn't just say, may you be aware of it. May you conceptually read about it and believe in it. No, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, this goes back to my answer, what have we been given more than we could ever understand? Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So now. All glory to God, not to you, not because you're special, not because you deserve it. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I just want to encourage you today that there's more. There's more to life. What he has given you is infinitely more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. There is more. But the way that we approach God has a lot to do with how we experience God. And so what I want to do is take you to a few observations, and then I'm going to tell you a story. This is the first thing in your notes today. How we approach God has a lot to do with how we will experience his power. How we approach God, whether we answer that question, I deserve it, God. I deserve it. Why aren't you doing this for me? You've done it for other people. Or God, it's your will, not mine. It's your power, not mine. God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Our approach to God has a lot to do with how we will experience his power. Side note, I just want you to see this too, that also the way that we approach God is also often the way that we approach other people. And when we approach God as if God owes us something, oftentimes we approach other people as if they owe us something as well. Let's be clear. We killed his son. All of us, every single one of us, as Paul argues in Romans, like sheep have wandered away from the way of God. We don't deserve anything, but we have been given everything. Number two, too many of us are missing out on the miracle working power of God because of how we approach Him. Because we approach God as if he owes us something. We approach God as if he has to do what we pray. Can I just tell you today that God answers prayers with no every once in a while? Not yet, often. There are many of us that, if we look back at some of the things we prayed for when we were younger, we just thank God that that didn't happen, and we're thankful that God says no. I want you to see that if, if the same kind of application, the the way that we approach God is the way that we approach people. If that's if that's true, and and it is then if we're missing out of what we can get from God because of how we approach him, can I submit to you today that you're missing out on what God can do in your life through other people because of how you approach them? Because the only people that we often let speak into our lives are people that we live in agreement with, people that we think, oh, that's the right person. And sometimes. It's the person that you don't like, the person that rubs you the wrong way. It's the person that thinks differently, that acts differently, that lives differently, that God wants to use to teach you something. And it's our approach. It's just our attitude and our perspective that keeps us from getting what God wants to give. And number three, this is all an issue of pride And humility. And I want you to see that humility will unlock more potential in your life than pride could ever deliver. The sad thing is that we live in a culture where if if someone begins to struggle with their behavior, We say you think too lowly of yourself. You you need to have a higher self-esteem. What's very interesting is if you study self-esteem and you go back into ancient cultures, ancient cultures in the same thing, if someone was caught stealing, they wouldn't say you have a low self-esteem. That's why you walked in there. You were trying to fill a gap and a void in your heart. They would say you thought too much of yourself. You thought too much of yourself. And because you thought too much of yourself, That's why you behave this way. And emerging research right now shows us really that self-esteem has nothing to do with it. It's not the way that you think of yourself that causes, it, it is really the way that we approach God. Because some of you have wasted most of your Christian walk arguing with God and telling him that your way is better than his. And he's not going to change his mind. And at some point you're going to be thankful that he didn't. So I want to take you to 2 Kings 5. It's a very obscure story of healing. And I want you to see out of this story what you can do to position yourself to experience the miracle-working power of God. Now, to set this story up, this is kind of in the time of Elisha. There are many enemies to the kingdom of Israel um, and kingdoms that are surrounding the area. The king of Aram, Is apparently a very masterful military leader. And he has in his courts a highly decorated military officer named Naaman. Naaman, the Bible says, had won many victories because the Lord was with him. It's very interesting to think that God had put himself with somebody who wasn't a part of the church, right? That God would use somebody else for his good. But this is going to get a lot more interesting because Naaman develops leprosy. Now, we know today that leprosy is a communicable disease. It could have been caught. So those in those days, they thought it was the result of sin. So in in Israel, he's going to be viewed very differently. And as this disease begins to take hold of his body, a servant girl that works with his wife says, hey, you should go see the prophet in Samaria. He can heal you. She's heard of Elisha. She's heard of his miracle working power as he has been an instrument in God's hands. And she gives him the, the directive to go. But instead of going to Samaria to, to find Elisha, he actually goes to the king of Israel. Now understand he comes out of a political background. He approaches the king and says, I am here because I have heard that there's power within this kingdom to cure the leprosy that I have. And in a very interesting moment, the king begins to tear his clothes as a sign of mourning. And he announces over Naaman, who am I that I would have life or death in me? So we'll pick up this story as Elisha responds to the king. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent a message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn there's a true prophet in Israel. See, I think sometimes... We need to realize that miracles begin when we put our hope in the right place. Miracles begin when we put our hope in the right place. Where did the servant girl say to go? The prophet in Samaria. Where did he go? The king in Jerusalem. He went to the most obvious political figure that he could find with the most power, assuming that because they were the most powerful person politically in the area, that they contained the power to cause the healing that he needed. But he went to the wrong source of power. And so many times we've misplaced our hope. And if we're going to position ourselves in our lives to experience the miracle working power of God, the first thing that we have to do is we have to put our hope in the right place. So this message is sent to Naaman. He leaves Israel and he begins his journey. Look at this. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha is so wise. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. He didn't even go out to see him at all. So at this point, an entourage that is coming from another kingdom has met with the king of Israel. Now they have made their way to Elisha's house. This would have been a high-level political move, and he doesn't even go out to see him. Now, y'all stay out there. Let me send my messenger. But Elisha sent a messenger out with him. With this message go and wash yourself 7 times in the Jordan then your skin will be restored and you will be healed from your leprosy That's a very peculiar thing to say Go get in the river and wash off I'm sure he's tried this right Right he's he's tried to wash it off before But Elisha asked him 7 times go Go and wash it off seven times in the Jordan River. Not in the clean bath water that as somebody with affluence you would have had. No, in in this dirty, rotten river. Go and wash yourself. See, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you willing to do something different to position yourself for a miracle? Because a lot of times we need the power of God, but we keep on doing the same old things. Are you willing to do something different to position yourself for a miracle? Because he's asked to do something different. And I'm going to be honest with you. The reaction that Naaman has is very close to the reaction that many of us what have. He showed up, high-level political figure. He comes to see Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He tells him to do something that is super strange. So watch how he responds. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected. And how many of y'all realize that most of the problems that we have in life come with the fact that we expect something out of somebody or situation that is not going to happen? Instead of surrendering our expectations to God. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name Of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus and Abana and Farpar better than any of these rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in rage. I want you to see this because this is so important. Maybe if we don't walk away with anything else today, I want you to walk away with this that our reactions to God's no's and not now set up how we will react to God's yes. Because if you pray and seek God, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that your life is going to be filled with a lot of no's and not yet. It's not time. It's not time. It's not time. I am the God that can do more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. What you are asking for is far below what I believe for you, what I want for you. Just wait. You're not ready to step into this next season. If you stepped into it right now, you couldn't hold what I'm about to give you. Just wait. And so many times we're like Naaman when God says, no, we get angry. When God says not yet, we turn around, we start walking the other direction, and we say, fine, I'll do it my own way. But watch how his friends do it. How many of y'all know every once in a while you need a friend to talk some sense into you? Anybody need that friend? I need those friends. Look at this. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If he had said, run a marathon 21 days in a row, you would have run a marathon 21 days in a row. But he did something simple. Look at, look at how they say this. If he asked you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed in humility. He received the word of God In humility. He responded to the word of God and in humility, as he responded, And followed through with what God had asked, he received something that he could have never earned because it was given to him. And here's the thing. I want you to pay attention to this. He had it when he went to the gate and the messenger came to see him. He had it when he was angry. He already had the miracle in his hand, but he wasn't willing to step in obedience and do what God was asking him to do. I want you to understand this about the miracle working power of God, that obedience always precedes a miracle. It's that woman with the issue of blood who knows that she's called to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus and is willing to press through a crowd she's not supposed to be in so she can touch Jesus. It's the widow who has nothing left but just enough to make a cake for her and her son. And then she says, we're going to die. But the prophet says to her, no, make that for me, and God will do more for you than you could have ever imagined. It's obedience that unlocks the miracle working power of God. And watch what happens after this. Then Naaman and his entire, entire party went back. To find the man of God. They stood before him. And Naaman said now I know. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please. Accept these gifts from your servant. Remember it was just his God. I just wanted him to wave his and call upon the name of his God. But now there's no other God. Because the power of God had went on display. And we see something very important about God's miracles here, that the miracles of God are are not about you. Miracles are always about Jesus. They're, They're not about making you feel better, about making you feel more important. Miracles are designed To point your heart to Jesus, to let Jesus get more glory, to allow Jesus, his name to be increased. And some of us are in desperate need of a miracle today. And so what I wanted to do is share with you the story of a miracle that happened right in our midst that many of you may have never heard before. It's my friend, Tim. And I want you to watch this video of us just sitting down and talking through what happened in his life. Watch this. You know, Tim, I remember it's almost a little over two years ago. uh, You and your wife, Erica, coming in for the first meeting for premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. And you came in, and one of the first things out of your mouth was, pastor i just want you to know like we've moved in together and and i know i know this isn't right and and i just want to give you a chance to say whatever you want to say to me about that and i was so shocked because normally when people come in that have moved in together they're they're kind of planning on getting married and the the idea is that the marriage is going to redeem that relationship and and but you you had a total different approach you just said whatever you want to say to me right now i want to listen that's right and i looked at you and said you sure about this whatever and you you had you just had that heart that was open in that moment. And I said, if you really want to do what's right, move out. Move out.
0: That's
1: right. So you're only about four weeks away from getting married. <laughs> it's just right around the corner. Move out. Four weeks. And you did. And you didn't even wait. You moved out that night yep. and moved in with your dad and spent four weeks with your dad waiting on that. Magical day in October where you got married two years ago. That's right. You see, there's a part of your story that most people don't know that happened years before that.
0: Yes. So could you share that with us? I can. Uh, I was 24 years old. I always thought I was healthy. You know, never had any issues or any complications or anything. And I got a notice and uh, it was painful when I walked on my, my left leg, it was, and tried to tough it out, you know, shrug it off for a few weeks, and finally went to the doctor because it wasn't getting any better. And they sent me to Charlotte for biopsies and x-rays and everything, and they diagnosed me with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma.
1: At 24? At
0: 24. Yeah. And it, it scared me to death. I mean, it, my uncle took me to the doctor, and he he told me on the way home, he said, you turned as red as a stop sign. And I could just feel myself like I was going to drop to the floor.
1: So you then proceeded to go into treatment. So what was treatment like?
0: The They placed a port on my right upper shoulder for the chemo, and they told me that they were going to railroad me pretty hard with the chemotherapy since it was early stages localized one area yeah. and they stuck me in the hospital for each treatment and I had to go through I think it was about six to eight treatments about every other well the treatments were every other week yeah. I'd go in from anywhere between three to five days at the time I spent in the hospital
1: so heavy doses of chemo yes and then also radiation right
0: yes uh, after chemo was looking good and everything my counts blood work came back fine They told me they wanted me to take about six or eight weeks' worth of radiation, and it was one treatment every week.
1: Yeah, so massive doses of chemo and radiation to your body. Yes. And you come out healthy on the other end, but the doctor told you something during the course of your treatment that really affected your future, and what was that?
0: I might not ever be able to have kids. And that was the worst feeling I ever had because I always seen myself having a family.
1: So you were single, mm-hmm. and and single for a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not yes. not just for a few years, but yeah. but you were single, and uh, and then you met Erica. I did. And, and uh, you guys fell in love and and came in and and you made that move of obedience. Yes. Really, and and it was that heart that said, I want I want our relationship as a married couple to start in the right place. So, shortly after
0: you got married, mm-hmm.
1: you got some news.
0: I did. <laughs> it was, I think it was her birthday. She said she had a surprise for me when I got home. We were just winding down for the afternoon, relaxing. She comes in she hands me a box i'm like what is this i'm like it's not christmas or it's your birthday you know you're supposed to be getting the gift and she had it boxed up with a note and she said i know you never thought that you would be able to but she had a pregnancy test inside the box that she had wrapped and it was positive i yeah. mean that day i found out that i was gonna be hat.
1: now your little boy and turns out to be a boy. Yes, sir. That looks exactly like you. <laughs> like is a little mini me. Mm-hmm. Is he's now 14 months old. Yes, sir. Healthy. Healthy. Perfect. He is in every way. <laughs> and the thing is, is that when we look at that miracle, and that there's no way to to look at that and not think of it as a miracle. That's exactly right. It definitely, in my heart, connects back to that moment right before you guys said I do when you said I'm going to be obedient I'm going to let even obedience disrupt my life I'm going to let it take me out out of what is my current normal and I'm going to have to spend the next four weeks living with my dad it's going to be uncomfortable but I believe that that moment of obedience positioned you for a miracle later and I'm so proud to be your pastor and to be on this journey. We celebrated so hard when we found out that that you were expecting and, and it's such a miracle to watch it unfold. It is. And I think that today for all of us that are here watching, this is one of those examples of us positioning through obedience ourselves to experience the miracle-working power of God. So there may be some of you that are here today. You know that you're in a position right now where you need to see God move. You need to see God move in your life. Maybe it's that you are facing a diagnosis and it's a very uncomfortable diagnosis. Maybe it's a health issue that's been chronic and that you've carried for years. Maybe there's relationship issues that are going on right now between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your parents. And you know you need a miracle. You need healing. Some of you have things that are going on inside of you. Depression, anxiety. And you know that you need the power of God. I want you to understand God doesn't have to. But he's given us more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. And we can position ourselves to receive or reject that gift through simple obedience. It's the little things that lead to the big things. God starts with the small, and then he leads us to the big and right now you might be thinking I know I'm supposed to forgive this friend that hurt my feelings but but you know what I just want to I, I don't think I'm ready for that I don't think I'm ready for that keep pushing God's will to the side I know that I know that we're supposed to start being faithful financially but it's just not convenient right now you keep pushing God's will to the side I know that I'm supposed to step into this calling that I have on my life but you just keep pushing God's will to the side And the thing is that as long as you keep pushing God's will to the side, you take yourself out of position to receive the gift that God has already paid for you, to experience and hold. And I believe today is a moment where some of us in our hearts are finally at the place to say, God, I've got it wrong. And I'm not. Not anymore. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to follow, and I'm going to let you lead.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.